0: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Now that's positionally, we're slaves of righteousness. That's who we should be. The boys are sons of Stan and Carol. Positionally, they are that. But now we have the choice whether or not we want to mentally live like the world again and put ourselves underneath sin again. And this whole, this whole chapter is telling us, since you've been taken out of this world and put into this world, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of Satan, to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of, of death, to the kingdom of life. We're in this, so he's now saying, don't live any longer under a different king. He says, now live under this king. You're already under this king. Now stay under this king living this way. That has nothing to do with keeping yourself saved. You're already that. You're already legally a Christian now. That can never change. Now live like one. That's what this passage is speaking about. Ray Steadman uh, wrote in one of his commentaries on a passage similar to this. He said there was a guy one time. ...that was walking in Los Angeles... ...and he had this big sign... ...and it was like a hippie days. ...and he was walking and had this big sign... ...and on the front of the sign it says... ...I am a slave of Christ. On the back side of the sign it asks the question... Whose slave are you? So the real point is... ...we are already a slave... ...the question is... ...whom we're going to now serve or be a slave. And that's really a decision that each one of us has to make. Now that's the danger when you get into what is called... ...Lordship Salvation... Because some people want you to immediately make him Lord of your life, and they so confuse the person that they automatically think that i 'm making christ Lord in order to be saved. No, we make him Lord in our life, and I really hate that phrase make him Lord because he 's already Lord, whether I make him Lord or not it 's like the president I have to make him president he 's already president. Don't give me I'll just stop there. Alright. So he's president in title and authority, all of that. Now I have the choice if I'm going to submit or not. And of course now, as far as a Christian, we submit to Christ. So with that in mind, whose slave are you and me? We're all going to be a slave. Either it's going to be a sin to death, or we're going to be obedient to Christ and we'll have righteousness. Let's go back to the passage now. Now that you have that idea, he moves from the issue. Whose slave are you? Who are you going to serve? Now he moves into the choice that you and I have to make. So Paul says in verse 19, You know, guys, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Primarily he's saying, I'm making it real simple so you can understand it. I'm also making it simple because the weakness of your flesh is it's so easy for you to put yourself back underneath the law, put yourself back under sin again, put yourself back under a a secular worldview thinking and lifestyle. your, Your flesh is weak. And so I want you to know, even as a pastor, my flesh is weak, like your flesh is weak, we're still Christians, but also within our flesh, or in us now, we have the Holy Spirit for all the power necessary to live above all of that junk that happens. And that's why chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 are written to people just like you and me. All right, let's go back. Now he says, For just as you presented your members as slavery to impurity and to lawlessness, take your pen, if you will, and underline the phrase, Just as you presented that is referred to just as you did this before you trusted Christ. This is before you came to faith in Jesus Christ. When you lived according to the flesh. When you lived according to um, sin. All right? You gave your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. And what happens when you do that? Resulting in further Lawlessness. So in other words, once you start serving sin and lawlessness, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Now verse 19 says, So now, you used to do that, but now. You did this in your unsaved days, so stop doing that. So now, present your members, that would refer to your bodies and all that comes with it, as slaves to righteousness, resulting in... More sanctification, resulting in sanctification. The idea is growing in sanctification. It results and continues to grow in that as you now yield yourself to righteousness as a believer in Christ. Now let me step aside from this because I don't want you to just get all this confused. Catch this thought now. Have you ever in your life told a lie? I have. You have. And have you noticed that some lies, maybe all of our lies, we tell a lie... But we also know that it could go public. So we end up telling a lie to cover up the lie. Did you catch what I'm saying? And then we have to tell a lie to cover up the cover up of the lie. Then we have to tell another lie to cover up the cover up the cover up the cover up of the lie. One person tracked one of his lies that he told until the point that he surrendered in conviction that it was wrong. He counted how many cover up lies he had to tell to cover up the first lie. It was 42 of them. Have you ever heard this phrase? That when you tell the truth, you need a short memory. When you tell a lie, you need a great memory. Because one lie, one sin, keeps going further and further and further and further and further. And let me get real practical. Mostly to the men, but the rest of you listen to this. Once you open the door to the cesspool of pornography, generally, your mind is already desensitized to that by a lot of stuff we can see that have nothing to do with an illegal porn site. But once you get into it, you blow this fuse, then you blow that fuse, and you blow this fuse. And pretty soon, that's not as tintillating. That is not as exciting. That is not as, uh, I've seen this before. So you have to go a little bit further. And now you're heading down this road and Satan is dragging you down because one sin builds upon another sin, upon another sin, and it keeps increasing. And that's because in the old self, Before we trusted Christ, we had no power. We certainly had no reason that God would accept for us to change that. Sometimes the world's reason would be, if I'm good now, God will let me to heaven. And God says, that doesn't work because it's only faith that pleases me. So even your good works don't please me because it's a dirty rag. So he says, nothing you do pleases me. And you're going further down this. The only thing will, when you realize that Jesus is the Lord God who died and rose again, you place your faith in him. And then he says, now... It's not so much that you're only giving yourself to me, but I'm going to take over you. Where before sin was your master resulting in death, I'm your new master now, and I'm going to result for you in such things as righteousness, holiness, and even eternal life. And I'm going to tell you, why wouldn't we want to trust Christ as Savior? I'll tell you. Because sometimes our heart is so deceitful, and we have gone the road to moral impurity and lawlessness so much that we almost believe Satan's lie, that we'll stay in that because we don't want to trust Christ. We think that once we trust Christ, our life is going to become boring. This Bible is nothing more than a book to take away all of our fun. And yet, what did we sing about today? Oh, happy day. How many of you would love today to give up your salvation just to go back to your unsaved days? I don't see any hands. And even if... You're having some tough times now and you didn't have quite the same tough times then. I think we can all say, at the end of it all, in your unsaved days, you're going to hell. And in your saved days, no matter how bad this gets, we're going to go to heaven. And that's the beauty of it. Let's go back to the passage now. You want to have your pens ready, because this gets really good here, because it's going to show you the contrast. What what does sin pay? When I continue to sin, what does sin give me? What does sin pay? Look at the verse now. You're going to see it. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin. So number one, you're enslaved with sin. When you don't know Christ is saved. For when you were slaves of sin. In an unsaved situation. You were free in regard to righteousness. Free means that you weren't in the realm of righteousness. Remember, even your good works was a filthy rag in the sight of God. So that wasn't even good enough. Society might say it was good. It probably was. But on eternal purposes, it's about the Son and what He's done. Not about man-made righteousness. So you're free from that. Now verse 21. It says, Therefore, what benefit... Some of you have the word fruit in there. I prefer the word benefit. What benefit were you then deriving from all the things which are now ashamed? In other words, what good came from all the times you walked away from pornography, all the times you were involved in all that kind of sinful stuff that you had, all the shenanigans? You, you, You didn't get anything from that, but you're now ashamed of it. So the second payoff of sin is that there's shame involved. So you have slavery to sin. You're ashamed. And what's the final outcome of those things? It's death. So sin pays slavery, shame, and death. Let's go to verse 22. But now having been freed from sin, uh, remember it doesn't say freed to sin, but freed from sin, which means that not so much that you won't sin any longer, but if you read the context of chapter 5 and chapter 6, what it's really saying is "But now you've been freed from sin, meaning the mastery of sin. That's the context. The control of sin. You're freed from that and enslaved now to God. And when you are enslaved to God, what benefit is it being enslaved to God and living a life of service to God? It results in sanctification. It results in eternal life. How beautiful that is. I like to look at it as righteousness, holiness, and eternal life by being free from that. All right. I want to talk about the word death so I can talk about the word eternal life. We're almost landing the plane here, almost. When you hear the word death, if I went to the man on the street and I said, what's death? And you're going to say, well, when someone's heart stops beating, when they give up, you know, they, they, they croak or whatever, they die, that's it. Actually, in Scripture, the word death doesn't just merely mean you die. What we taught you before is that you have what is known as spiritual death. That means it's this distance from God. Then you have what we call um, eternal death, okay? And that's when you spend eternity in hell. And then you have the death that's the death that's known that you're born with it, you're separated from him for all eternity. So you have the location of death, you have the experience of death. That's part of death. The word death means separation. Have you ever heard the phrase, you know, I'm dead to that relationship? That doesn't mean you died. doesn't mean they died. It just means that relationship died. You catch what I'm saying? So death merely means separation. So you have the separation from God for eternity in hell, condemnation. You have the separation from God due to intimacy. You can have the separation of almost anything when you're not living for the Lord. Now go back to this passage. You see where it says eternal life? When we read eternal life, we automatically think, well, that means when I die, I live forever. So eternal life is my glorified state over here that I get when I'm dead. I would much prefer for you to understand that eternal life includes that and will conclude, in a sense, with that, but that's not the beginning of eternal life. When you trust Christ as Savior, Jesus said, I come to give you life and to give it you more abundantly. He says, I want you to have life. That means eternal life in heaven. That's the finished product, glorification. Watch this now. But I also want you to experience the quality of life now. In fact, many times in scripture, it uses the term new life. It uses the the phrase resurrection life, which means you're dead and now you're alive, never to die again. That's the new life that you have in Christ. So where am I going with all of this? As a Christian, you trusted Christ. You are now out of that slave master. You're under Christ. You can choose to still live under this and what that's going to do is going to enslave you to more sin. You'll be shamed and you're going to have death. Not death in hell but you're going to have death. A death in relationships socially, death financially maybe from your money, death in situations with God and intimacy with Him and all of that. All that will be death. That's what you get when you choose as a Christian to live under this. Sanctification says now I'm over here and I'm now going to choose to live for the Lord. And if I live for Him what happens to me? I now have more righteousness in my life, sanctification in my life, and watch—this is beautiful. I am now paid. I am given up special payment for that, and that is eternal life, moment by moment by moment by moment by moment. When I tell people, um, as a Christian now, living for the Lord has been the greatest experience. And I hate to use that word, but it it is in a way. I've experienced answers to prayers. I've experienced friendship that has been genuine and real. There's a sense that I have two things going on in my life that it's hard to quantify, and that is I have a fulfillment in my life. There is a peace in my life. There is a resident joy in my life. There's a resident sense of place, if I can use a Hawaiian term. There's a resident sense of well-being in my life, not just because I trusted Christ. That began, but it was fed when I, when I chose to now let Christ be the master of my life. That's happened in my life. So I have this Tremendous fulfillment. But there's something else I have in my life. It's called fruit in my life. There are things that God is doing with me, through me, and for me that I could never have done myself. Supernatural stuff answers to prayers, doors that have been opened, opportunities that I've had, places that I've been able to see, watching and being close up when people have trusted Christ as Savior, when they too entered into that relationship. And you know what, folks? When I say that about me, you're just looking at one guy who puts his pants on like all of you do, the same guy that brushes his teeth like you do, unless you have false teeth. You know, I'm like you is what I'm saying. The difference is, is Are we all willing to surrender to the lordship of Christ now, to surrender to God, and we will have that result? I wanted to end on this passage with this, verse 23, the one you have marked in your Bible and you mostly use for salvation, but it's really used for Christians mostly. It says here, for the wages of sin is death, and that means it's a continual death until it's an eternal death when your body physically dies. But then it says the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus, and that free gift of God is eternal life, is given to those who place their faith in Christ. You don't have to work for that gift of eternal life. You don't have to do something socially or religiously. All you have to do is trust Christ, and the gift of God is given to you. Scripture says, He that has the Son has life. So you have the gift of God that's given to you in Christ, and you have eternal life that is Christ, all because you trusted Christ. That's the eternality of it, but he begins right now as you choose to live under that grace. Now, take out your notes and I'm going to rattle through these quickly because I want to cover the last seven overview, seven points overview of our chapter. I don't have to teach these. These are just so that she says, boy, you said an awful lot in three messages on this, Pastor. Or can you kind of give it to me in a nutshell? I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell. Here it is. Number one, statements that will tell us how we can live victoriously. What God has done What God has done is both positional and practical. Positional means that He's done it already. When you trust in Christ, practical is something you do for Him not to get it, not to keep it, because you are. Number two, there are two key positions, two key positional truths that you need to know. Number one, you are dead to sin. And number two, you are united with Christ in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. All right, look up here. This is Christ. Christ. I place my faith alone in him. I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. I rose again with Christ. And because of that, I am now dead to sin and I'm alive now unto God just like Christ is forevermore. So I have a new life, that resurrection life in Christ. So now sin doesn't have to have a master over me. Why? Because Christ showed victory over sin when he died and paid for all of it. Victory over death, victory over Satan. So we have victory over sin, victory over death. That means our body will die but not our soul and spirit. We have victory over sin which means it no longer has to have control over me any longer because I'm united with Christ. That's the point. Number three. Number three, God's intention for you and me is, number one, that sin should no longer master us. No longer master us. Remember, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's in you and me. And so if something is stronger than sin, then that means sin is stronger than what raised Jesus from the dead and there's nothing stronger than that. The second bullet point is that we should live a brand new life and bring forth fruit for God. Not a new life, but a brand new life. Not just a better life, but a brand new life. We are born again, regenerated, new life. Number four, our first response to all of this, we must consider it to be true in our lives that God has done everything necessary for us to walk in victory. I believe that to be true. I consider it to be true. I count it as truth. I know it and I believe it with all of my heart. Number five, I'm going to act upon it. My second response is to stop yielding or stop presenting my bodies to sin. Just stop it. Uh, Let me just say this right now. If you're cheating on your taxes, stop it. If you're using profanity, stop it. If you're messing around and flirting with the opposite sex and you're married or not and you're manipulating and defrauding, stop it. That's basically what we're saying. We're going to say yes to God. We're going to say no to Satan. So, I'm going to present myself to the Lord. So, I'm going to stop yielding, stop presenting my bodies to sin. And I'm going to start yielding, presenting my body to Christ. Number six, we can either serve sin or serve God. That's the ultimate decision. And it's one we have to make every day or at least moment by moment. So, whose slave will I be today? And number seven, our greatest motive is that serving God pays off in righteousness, holiness, and eternal life. Now remember, living for the Lord doesn't give me eternal life. I get that when I trust Christ. Living for the Lord accentuates my eternal life. It gives me that abundant life that I have here. It lets me put my, my head on my pillow at night, not worrying about what lie I have to cover up, how many more apologies I have to make because I willfully hurt people i put my head on the pillow at night and go to sleep knowing my conscience is clear my sins are forgiven i have a home in heaven and god will use me of all my weaknesses for his glory and that's the eternal life that i get here let's pray shall we with every head bowed and every eye closed maybe today is the day that you're ready to trust christ as your savior I want you to know that getting into God's forever family, again, is not by any works of righteousness which we have done, but it is according to His mercy. He bestows mercy on us by not giving us eternal damnation. He bestows grace upon us by giving us His Son and the way of salvation so simply that it's by faith in Christ and then gives to us heaven and all the wonderful riches of His glory when we trust Christ as Savior. He's done it all. He's done the work on the cross He's brought the message to us. So now what we do is we humbly come before him and we say, Lord, I can do nothing to get it. I can do nothing to keep it. But I believe you, Lord, died and rose again. I am trusting in Jesus Christ, the Christ of the Bible, for the full forgiveness of my sin. And when you do that, my friend, you're still a slave, but now you've been put into a new kingdom. And now in that new kingdom, what are you going to do to live for the Lord? Not to get saved, but because you are. And maybe some of you, this is the day for you to trust Christ as Savior so that your benefit will not be enslavement to sin, shame, and death. But your trust in Christ will be righteousness, holiness, and eternal life, and all that comes with it. What do you want? Place your faith in Christ. And then after you do that, with His power... And for his glory, you grow in grace that you've received grace. Is there anyone here today that would like to trust Christ as Savior? Here's what you'll say to the Lord. Lord, I know I've done things wrong, but I'm coming to you just as I am. And I'm trusting Christ as my only hope for heaven. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I know it's nothing I do myself. I'm taking Jesus Christ at his word when he says, he that believes on me has everlasting life. I'm believing on you. Now, I'd like to pray for you, but I won't have you come forward. You won't have to stand up. You won't have to say anything. And when I pray for you, or I won't mention your name in my prayer, I won't embarrass you like I said. I just want to welcome you into God's forever family. You're not joining the church and all that. You're just trusting Christ, and I'm going to pray for you. But is there anyone here that would say, you know, Pastor, I, I would like you to pray for me. I, I, I am trusting Christ. And just like you did the night you trusted Christ, I'm kind of letting you know that I'm trusting Christ. I'm, I'm putting up my hand. I'm going to let you know. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. It won't save you. Me praying for you won't save you. You trusting Christ is all that it takes. But is there anyone in here today that's trusting Christ as your Savior? With heads bowed and eyes closed, you just slip up your hand. I'd like to pray for you right now if you're trusting Christ. Anyone at all? Okay, Christians, ask yourself if you're a little bit like Bill. You know, I, I, I'm doing some things wrong, but that's all right. I know I'm going to heaven. Why not live it up until I get there? Now what do you say? Is that what God wants? What should you do? Maybe we have some Susans in here, so to speak. And you're living a life in a way that you know is wrong and you've got a distorted view of God. Yes, he still loves you and yes, he wants you to have joy. But he knows you're not going to get it when you're enslaved to sin. When you're going to be ashamed at what you're doing. Where the consequences now will be horrible, and the loss of rewards in heaven will be huge. What would what would you do now? What would God want you to do with your life now? Because He's bought you at the price of Jesus Christ. And maybe some of you are those that um, you're not too bad. You're pretty faithful, but at the same time, you're not growing. You're not stretching. You're not taking on some new things, new, new ventures for the Lord, whether it's missions or giving or involvement or teaching or serving. And so you're just kind of satisfied that you're saved and then go back to work on Monday and live the, 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 the life that no one would know that you're a Christian. What, what should you do? Our gracious Heavenly Father, I know that even as a Christian walking with you, that doesn't mean our life will be without problems, but it does mean that we have a problem solver in our life who delights And growing us in grace and answering our prayers and being a part of our life. And so, Father, I pray that we would be able to look at our life and not continue in sin, thinking that grace may increase when it won't. Or to just sin, thinking that it's okay when we ought to hate sin like you hated sin. And remember how bad sin is by looking at what it cost you on the cross to forgive us of that sin, to pay for that sin that horrible death, so we could have everlasting life. And so, Lord, help us now to do business with sin by trusting you, giving us the strength, walking in righteousness, counting it as being dead, being alive unto you. And now, Father, a new life, and we could experience this with you. In Jesus' name, amen.